enjoying fellowshipping together and with one another and in God's Word. And thank you for the honor that uh, you give me in bringing God's Word, preaching God's Word to you this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you will, go ahead and secure your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking primarily at uh, verses 17 through 24 as a primary text this morning to guide us. You know, in the previous messages that I've been preaching in this series of the Gospel of Luke, and I realize some of you probably haven't researched back in your memory banks of when that occurred last. It was pre-COVID. You know, Jesus had already sent out his 12 apostles in chapter 9, in verses 1 through 6. They've been sent out by Jesus two by two to preach the good news of the gospel and also to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And that was a primary message that they had at that time, but they were also especially divinely endued with power from God, the Lord, to to to, to heal people and to uh, cast out demons. And then the apostles returned in chapter 9 and verse 10 and reported back to the Lord how their, their mission was successful. They, they were able to do just what the Lord had sent them to do, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, to, to preach the gospel, and then also to cast out demons and to heal people. So they had a highly successful um, uh, mission, if you will. Those were the apostles, the twelve. But then as we went further, in fact, it was the last message I preached just 15 months ago. I'm sure you remember it as if it were like, 15 months ago, and uh, out of of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, in which Jesus is sending out the 70. There's no title associated with the 70. These are followers of Christ. These are true believers in Jesus Christ. These are people that the Lord entrusted to, to go out and take the message of the gospel. And so they were going out, uh, 70 of them, two by two. Some translations say there were 72. And most 70, you can figure that out. And uh, in Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse seven, it says that Jesus sent them two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And uh, in in Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse 12, he goes on to say that they went out, they went about and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So you can see that the 70 were nobody to sneeze at either. These 70 messengers from Christ had a powerful impact as they went, endued with the power and the authority that the Lord had given to them. And so here, as we pick up in chapter 10 and verse 17, the 70 are coming back. They're reporting in, if you will. And so we begin, as we look at this particular portion, they, they're, they're enthusiastically coming back. They're, they're bubbling over, if you will, with enthusiasm and excitement to be able to report back to the master about the experience that they have had as a result of being sent out by the Lord. So the first thing that I want us to focus on is the rejoicing of the 70, the rejoicing of the 70. So you can already detect from that subtitle that they were filled with joy and excitement. In fact, as we look in verse 17, chapter 10, then the 70 returned with joy. There it is. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall be 
by any means hurt you. Now, let's stop there for a second and just examine the, the joy, the rejoicing of these 70. The 70 were celebrating what they interpreted was being able to possess God's power. And they did. They didn't cast out demons on their own. They didn't heal people on their own. They didn't have the, the kingdom message uh, on their own. They were given this and, and this power that they exercised supernaturally by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as special ambassadors of the king, they were proclaiming the kingdom of God. Everywhere they went, they were telling the people just what Jesus had told them to tell. And that is, hey, y'all. They were probably Southern Galileans. <laughs> Linda, I know that that's not California talk, but that, yeah, y'all. But anyway, hey, y'all, the kingdom is coming. The king is here. And so you might say that the 70 were on kind of a spiritual high at that point coming back. And so they were, they were excited. They were pumped. And then the Lord revealed God's kingdom perspective. This was their perspective. They were reporting back how they saw things unfolding from their perspective. But then Jesus wades in and he begins to open their eyes to see the bigger picture of what was really transpiring. And that's what we see in those later verses that I read there. And from the Lord's divine perspective, he wanted his disciples or, or these disciples, the 70, to see that what was actually happening in the spiritual realm was Satan's domain was beginning to unravel. Look at verse 18. He said, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He wasn't speaking primarily of what we think of in Isaiah and Ezekiel, where that high and, 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 uh, and glorious cherub, Lucifer, who stood in the presence of God, who dared to sin and tried to rebel against God, was cast down out of heaven. Some interpreters say that's what Jesus is talking about. He saw Satan cast down from heaven to the earth. Jesus did see that, but Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking in the tense of the verb that Jesus is saying. He says, I saw, I saw and I'm seeing and I'm continuing to see. In other words, fellas, when you were out there and you were preaching the gospel and you were exercising the authority that I gave to you, he says, guess what? Satan's kingdom was beginning to unravel with every soul that was won by faith in Jesus Christ by every person that turned their back on Satan and sin and the world and turned to Jesus. He said that was one less person in the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus wanted them to know that when you were out there, you were robbing Satan of his converts one by one. You know, John tells us in first John chapter one, verse four, that you and I also, because we are children of God, we have no reason to fear the devil. Now, we need to be respectful of the evil powers that are out there in our in our, our world today. There are demons out there. Satan is still alive and kicking. Let me tell you something. But we don't live in fear of the evil forces around us. We don't need to be intimidated by those dark forces around us. John said in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than is he is who is in the world. You see, they have not only reason to celebrate that they were contributing to the, the fall, the unraveling of Satan's evil empire, but they also had reason to celebrate as the Lord was telling them there in verse 20, 
He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather, look, don't miss this. Here's the, here's the real reason, he says. This is the reason you can really celebrate. He says, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jeremiah says that the, the, the names of the evil and the sinful are written on earth. But the children of God, followers of Jesus Christ, those who have given their life to follow Christ and turn their backs on sin, their names are written in heaven. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you can celebrate the people that you were able to heal. You can celebrate the demons that you were able to cast out. You can celebrate the people that, that believe the message of the gospel that you preach. But, boys, let me tell you something. If you're looking for a real reason. To celebrate that you won't ever get over. That you'll celebrate for the rest of your life. Celebrate the fact that by your faith. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your names are written in heaven. You have an eternal home. That's a good reason to celebrate. And folks let me tell you something. That's a good reason for you and me. To celebrate as well. We have a salvation. We have a, an assurance of eternal life. That Satan and his minions and no evil force can take away from us. They can never, ever, ever take away that which the Lord Jesus has given to us in our salvation. I think about what the Lord was, was saying. And, and I love how he talks in John chapter 10. If you want to turn over there in John chapter 10. I love the language that Jesus uses in describing himself. But Jesus gives us the assurance that once we put our faith and trust in him as our savior, as our Lord, as our master, Jesus says there in John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep, that's us. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And listen now, verse 28, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. How many of you find comfort in that verse right there? Say amen. Amen. I think about that over and over and over again. When I slip up and stumble and I don't please the Lord with my life. And I, you know, I, it doesn't take two seconds. Satan to send one of his minions to sit on my shoulder and say, uh-huh, Charlie. See, I told you. You're not worthy to be one of God's children. You're not worthy. You probably have forfeited your salvation because you took your eyes off the Lord. You're not good enough to get into heaven. Listen, I go back and I quote to him that verse right there. I'll say, get out of my way, Satan, because Jesus has already said that I'm one of his. I'm one of his sheep. He's already paid the price for my sins. He's already given his life to pay the price for my, my sins. And he's accepted me into his wonderful eternal kingdom. And I know that he's promised me no one and no wise can ever snatch me out of his hand. I live with that eternal security. Do you? That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But the fact is, Jesus told his disciples, listen, you know, there's 70. He says, if you want a good reason to celebrate, just focus on the fact that because of your faith in me, your trust in me, your names are written in heaven. You are assured of eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14, he says, he speaking of Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transfer, transferred us. To the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. You know, every one of us, every one of us at one time in our lives, we were qualified to spend eternity in hell. We were not we were not worthy 
of heaven. It was only when Jesus Christ intercepted our lives and by his Holy Spirit convicted us of our sins and opened our spiritual eyes to see that we needed to repent of our sins and to put our faith and trust in him. It was only when he took the initiative to reach out to you in your lostness and your depravity and your separation. And he offered to you the wonderful gift of salvation bought with his precious sinless blood. It was when Jesus took the initiative to reach out to you. And you responded by faith that Jesus snatched you out of the ugly hands of the devil. He transferred you and me from the domain of darkness of the devil and into his glorious kingdom. Folks, that's reason for celebration. That's a reason to rejoice. Do you rejoice in your salvation? Or do you take it kind of ho-hum and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm Christian and I'm this and I'm that. Come on. Don't ever get over heaven. Don't ever get over the fact that you are on your way to heaven. We talked about that in Hebrews. The wonderful faith that God has given us points us towards heaven. It it lifts our eyes off of the things of the world and it focuses on that which lies ahead for us. And it causes rejoicing in our spirit. As we move along in this text, talking about the rejoicing of the 70, I want us now to, to look at the rejoicing of the Savior. They weren't the only ones rejoicing that day, folks. And you'll see as we continue in the text here in verse 21. It says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. Let me just stop there. Because if if we're not careful, you'll jump right over a, a, a very significant point in the Scripture, in this text right here, in verse 21, when it talks about Jesus rejoicing. Now we know Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And his humanity offered to him every emotion that you and I experience. Jesus demonstrated a range of emotions in his earthly experience here on earth. He knew what it was to be angered. angered. He knew what it was like to be frustrated. He knew what it was like to have grief and sorrow. In fact, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he's referred to as the man of sorrow. Rarely do we see him described in the scriptures as rejoicing. Think about it. In fact, this verse, verse 21, is the only verse you'll find that describes Jesus rejoicing. It's the only verse that captures the Son of God in a moment of rejoicing, which tells me this had to be a significant moment in his earthly ministry. He rejoices over the Father's pleasure in revealing himself to the humble. You know, with a touch of sarcasm, the Lord Jesus shares how the mysteries of the Father are unattainable by religion and prideful intellect, but instead they are offered to the humble in faith. 
That's what he's praising God for. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things? The mysteries of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the, 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 the Holy Trinity. All these mysteries, he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. He's speaking sarcastically here of the of the religious astute, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. The Sadducees, the priests, all of that made up the the leaders of Judaism who prided themselves of of having such godly wisdom and and knowledge of the scriptures. And and, and so here Jesus is saying, Father, it's a wonderful thing how you have you have hidden your mysteries from them. But you have opened the eyes of you have given your wonderful secrets or or revealed your secrets or, or mysteries to the babes. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about. Human physical infants, you know, lying around in a bassinet. He's talking about spiritual babes. He said, it's a marvelous thing, Heavenly Father, how you have taken that which you have concealed from those who pride themselves in being religious and and intelligent, and you've made it known to these 70 who are brand new babes in the faith. They're brand new in the faith. You've you've opened the eyes of the apostles. They're babes in, in the faith. And you've chosen to make these wonderful things known to to them. And that's what Jesus is is marveling about. You know, the double irony of the kingdom of God was that the kingdom of God was being launched in this episode. When Jesus was sending out the disciples, the apostles and sending out the 70, we see that the kingdom of God is being launched out there. And at the very time, simultaneously, Satan's kingdom is beginning to gradually erode, not because of the prominent and the proud. It wasn't the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish priests and the, the, the religious astute who were bringing down the kingdom of Satan. It was the humble. It was the lowly. It was the unimpressive citizens who believed in Jesus Christ. And they were the ones that were contributing to the downfall of the the kingdom of Satan because they were out there sharing the truth of the gospel. They were the ones that were making a difference. Listen, let me tell you something. It's not the philosophers of the world today. It's not the religious elite. It's not the people who put their pride and confidence in, in how much religion and rituals they practice or in their denominational affiliation who are causing uh, Satan and the demons to tremble. It's average run-of-the-mill people like you and me who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who are out there speaking the truth of God's word. And it's folks like us, babes in faith, that, that are out there, and we are the ones that are causing our enemy to tremble in their boots. And as well, every time that you and I take the word of God and go out into the, the society around us, every time that we encounter an individual and share with them the truth of the gospel and share with them how they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, listen, let me tell you something. When that person believes what you're sharing from the word of God and, the God, and God's spirit convicts their heart and they choose to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and choose to follow Christ for the rest of their life, let me tell you something. That's one less person that Satan can drag into hell with him. And let me tell you something, he doesn't take that too lightly. Satan dreads the fact that ordinarily, ordinary, unimpressive people like me 
when we're on our knees praying and asking God to save those who we love, who are lost, who are unsaved. And listen, when we're on our knees praying, you better believe the devil is upset. Jesus rejoices in the father's pleasure of his son's faithful handling of his plan. That's what Jesus is talking about here as he as he unfolds this here in verse 21 and 22. Look at verse 22. He says, all things have been delivered to me by my father. And we understand that God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit are three persons, but one God. And, and God, the father has delegated to God, the son, the plan that was established at the foundation of the world. He says, no one knows who the son is, but the father and who the father is, but the son and the one whom the son wills to reveal. So and he says, and he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. So I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. In this unique representation of the of the Holy Spirit, you know, where Jesus is there in verse 21, where he's, he's talking about, you know, Jesus is praising and rejoicing in the spirit. And, and God, the son is, is is praying to God, the father. You can sense that the Holy Trinity is coming together and they're reviewing what is transpiring. The, the plan of redemption that God set into motion, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that wasn't something that just came about just after Jesus was born, and then they scratched their heads and said, how how are we going to win the world? How are we going to win the lost? No, this plan was set into place before the world was even created, before man was even uh, created. God knew what lie ahead, and he put into place the plan of redemption, and he entrusted the enactment of this to God the Son. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's praising God that God has entrusted him with this and that he is implementing it through his disciples, his apostles, and through the 70 who are being sent out. God is working not only through Christ, he's working through the people that Jesus sends out. The apostles, the 70 or precursor to the body of Christ. You see, Jesus is looking ahead. He's excited because he sees his apostles going out there and doing the kingdom work, carrying the gospel message. He sees the 70 going out there endued with power from on high. And, 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 and they're going out there and they're effectively, they're, they're, they're planting the kingdom of God. They're ad- advancing the kingdom of God. They're one soul by one soul by one soul. They're dismantling the Satan, the, the kingdom of Satan. And then he knows that there's going to come a time that he's got yet a more massive army that is going to be doing the very same thing. After his bur- after his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus knows that he is going to commission what will be the body of Christ, what will be the church, who will be us. And you know, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, you shall receive power where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. World, Listen, Jesus is, 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 is painting the, the picture of the kingdom of God, the church. And that's you and me. We have the unique responsibility and privilege of implementing the redemptive plan that God set into motion. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit, even at the foundation 
of the world. And so Jesus is celebrating this. And he tells his disciples there in verse 24 or, 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 or verse 23. He says, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and hear what you hear and have not heard it. He says, listen, fellas, you understand all the patriarchs of the Old Testament, those who preceded you. We're talking about some powerful people of God. Talk about Abraham. You talk about Moses. You talk about David and Daniel and, and the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel. You're talking about great powerful men and women of faith. And he says they desired so much to be able to see what you're seeing. They desired so much to be able to hear what you're hearing. You're seeing the power of the, of the kingdom of God beginning to impact the world. You're hearing the reports of how the kingdom of God is beginning to, to free people from the bondage of sin and from the, the snares of the devil and from the entanglements of demon possession. And so Jesus is, is, is saying to them, you are blessed. Church, let me tell you something. So are we. So are we. We are blessed. We have the, the, the whole canonical scripture here, canonized scripture right here in our hand. The whole word of God. They didn't have access to the full scriptures at that time. We can read from Genesis all the way over to Revelation. We can see everything that God has intended to reveal to mankind. We hold it in our hands. We see the beginning and we see the end. We know how it all comes out. We see the wonderful workings of, of Christians that are going out there and sharing the gospel, evangelizing the lost, who are doing missions to show the love of Christ. And we're being able to see that and witness it in our time. Jesus was excited because his disciples, the, the apostles and the 70, had opportunity to rejoice. And they did. They did. And on, on a number of planes. But also, it's so, it's so refreshing. It's so good to see our Savior rejoicing over seeing the, the, uh, the wonderful redemptive plan of God beginning to unfold through those faithful followers. But you know, we have also occasion to rejoice. We talk about the rejoicing of the 70. We talk about the rejoicing of the Savior. But I'd like to end up by sharing with you how we, God's people, we have reason to rejoice. Talk about the rejoicing of the saints. And I, and I say that against the backdrop of the observance of the Lord's Supper that you and I were blessed to participate in this morning. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, speaking about the Lord's Supper, Paul says to those Christians, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death. In other words, you proclaim the gospel. Is this just another religious ritual that you go through? Or every time that you partake of that broken bread that reminds you of the body of our Savior that suffered so horribly for us for the penalty of our sins. And you partake of that cup and you think about the, the wonderful, sinless, divine blood of Jesus Christ that paid the price for your sins. Does it stir joy in your heart? Does it cause you to celebrate in your heart and rejoice that Jesus Christ has done for us that which we could never do? Does it stir up in your heart joy 
knowing that you who once belonged to Satan and were in the kingdom of, of darkness, now you belong to the Lord. Now you're a child of God. Now you are safe and secure in the hands of the Lord. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a proclamation of what Jesus has done. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember. We remember. We should remember every time. Never let it become just a ritual. We remember where we were. You know, the Apostle Paul helps us with that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Folks, that's where we were. Before Christ, we were spiritually dead. Now, what can a dead person do to help themselves? What can a dead person do to remedy themselves of a horrible condition? Nothing. You're absolutely helpless. And Paul says that's who you were. That's, that's where you were. You were dead in your sins. In your trespasses. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have reason to rejoice when we just remember where we were. But then also when we remember who we were. Again, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't mind reminding us of the dark things about us in our past. Paul helps us to remember in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says that we were under the power of the darkness of Satan. I know you don't like to think about being a child of the devil. I don't. But you know that's who you were at one time? Exactly. You were a child of the devil. You belonged to him. Because you were born like every other human being under the curse of sin. And you belonged to him. And he was the master. And also in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, Paul goes on to say, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works. That's who I was before Christ. I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I was under the power of the dark domain of Satan. I was alienated. I was an enemy of God in, the, in my mind, in my spirit, in my soul. You know, it's good. I know we don't like to think about, I don't like to, you know, dredge up the past of my life that's, you know, that's embarrassing and hurtful and things like that. But every once in a while, when I'm riding along on a spiritual high, the Lord, he'll just kind of give me a glimpse to help me appreciate where he's got me now, of where I was and who I was before Jesus became my life. As a redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I wouldn't dare leave you on a negative note, okay? As a redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can rejoice. We can rejoice, yes we can, what our gracious, loving, and merciful God did for us. John 3, 16 reminds us what God did for us. He sent His only begotten Son into this world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Going back to that Ephesians 2 passage where Paul was talking about there, how we were, uh, we were dead in our trespasses. Paul reminds us that though we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Paul goes on to say. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, and not by works, lest any man would boast. 
Yes, we were dead in our trespasses. We were separated and helpless and hopeless. But let me tell you something. God made us alive together with Christ because Christ stepped out of that grave in resurrection power and our faith and trust is in him. We share in that resurrection power. That's where we are today, folks. That's who we are today. Not only that, but just as Colossians chapter 1 reminds us there in verse 13 that we were under the power of darkness. Paul goes on to say we were been delivered from the power of darkness and translated or transferred into the kingdom of the son of God. He goes on in verse 21 and 22 and say, yet now the Lord has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. So, yes, we remember where we were. Yes, we remember who we were. But praise God when we stop and think about the glorious good news of the gospel and the privilege of being a part of the family of God and the wonderful saving faith that God has given to us and the glorious grace of God that has extended to us salvation. When we partake of the elements of the table, yes, we might remember who we were or where we were, but we can rejoice in the fact that we know that we're not that person anymore. We're not there anymore. We're not in the clutches of the devil anymore. We're in the arms of a loving Savior right now who will never release us and has promised us that nobody can snatch us from him. And the place that he promised us, he says, we will dwell forever. We can rejoice, folks, knowing that the gracious, loving, merciful God has done for us that we could never do. And we can rejoice knowing where we will spend eternity. We talked about that faith. You know, faith assures us that we have a better home, a glorious home. Don't ever get over being excited about what lies ahead for us. Let your eyes be focused on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. Jesus made a glorious promise to his disciples there that I think ought to resonate in the hearts and the minds of every born again believer on a daily basis, realizing that this world is not our home. Jesus reminded his disciples just before he was to be crucified. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. I know some people say dwell in places and that's all right if that's the way you want to translate it. But listen, I've lived cooped up too long. I can't wait to occupy my divine mansion that Christ has prepared for me. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, he didn't say I'm going to see if I can contract out to have somebody build your place. He says, I will go and prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm coming back and I'm coming back to receive you unto myself that where I am there, you will be forever. Where's Charlie Martin when he gives up the spirit in this old body? I'll be at home with the Lord. I won't be cramped up anymore. Hallelujah. I'll be in the presence of the Lord. I'll be in my glorified body in my brand new mansion that the Lord has prepared for me. And I'll be able to praise him and serve him and worship him forever and ever and ever. Is that reason to rejoice? Say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't ever get over and shouldn't get over what you've done for us. Not because we earned it, deserved it, but Lord, because you love us. And so, Lord, when we come before you at the table, we, the Lord's Supper, we, we ought to rejoice, Lord. We ought to leave rejoicing. Knowing that, Lord, you've done a mighty, wonderful work in us. And that you're working through us to help others to receive this glorious good news. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you rejoice before the Father 
over how he has so wonderfully worked through you, Lord Jesus, to put into place and to put into motion this wonderful plan of redemption that we are the fruit of. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have not come to that point of faith, they're turning their backs on their sins and turning by faith to you and trusting in you, realizing that there's you have a much better plan in store for them than what the world offers them. I pray that, Lord, you, by your Holy Spirit, will draw them to Jesus. Help them to have the faith to put their trust in you, Lord, not just today, but for the rest of their lives, to follow you, to be obedient to the teachings of your word, to live their life, not for themselves, but for you, for your glory. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. May you be honored in all that we do. And we'll forever give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. The people of God said, amen.